0: There was a pilot who was trying to land his plane, belonged to one of the major US airlines. Um, he was circling the airport of his destination, but the more he circled, the worse the weather got. And this captain really wanted to get his aircraft on the ground because his church was starting a set of special meetings that evening that he really wanted to attend. It looked like it wasn't going to happen. And so he decided to pray and he asked God if the Lord would just engineer things so that he could get on the ground. No sooner had he said that, than the weather cleared, there was a, a gap in the clouds, a message came over the radio that it was safe to land. And before he knew where he was, he was landed, he was in his car and he was on his way home in time to get to church. As he was driving along, he was thanking God, and then he thought, Lord, why is it that um, I got down and lots of my colleagues are still up there, still circling, and I'm sure they'd love to get down? Why me? As quick as a flash, the answer came, and the Lord said to him, you asked, they didn't. The puzzle of prayer is that we can tell God what he already knows and we can ask him to do what he already wants to do. And the power of prayer is that the God of heaven has promised both to hear us and to answer us. When we pray, something always happens. And as Peter said a moment ago, in just a few days we get to begin participating in a whole concentrated season of prayer. And in order that we can do that with confidence and with faith, what I want to do this morning is take a very familiar chapter or story from the Old Testament and draw out from it some principles of prayer. So would you turn with me please to 1 Kings chapter 18 and the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. Now while you're turning there, let me fill in what's happened to the point that we're going to begin our reading. Because of idolatry, immorality and child murder, God had shut up the skies over Israel, the whole land was under judgment. And for three years, the land and the people and agriculture was languishing in both a drought and a famine. Things got to such a point that God tells Elijah to challenge the prophets of Baal to a duel of spiritual power in the very nerve center of Baal worship, which was Mount Carmel. And so they come together Elijah, the single prophet of God, outnumbered by 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. And you know what happens. The prophets of Baal call out and cut themselves and hour after hour they try and invoke fire to come from heaven. Elijah stands when it's clear nothing's going to happen and with just a single word calls down fire from heaven. And then under the same anointing slays all the prophets of Baal in a gory cleansing of the land. Now that's where the majority of us stop. We stop at verse 40, reveling in the glory of that great demonstration of power and might on Mount Carmel. But what I want us to do today is to pick the story up from afterwards from what happens when elijah has finished that so would you turn with me please to first kings chapter 18 and let's pick up the story at verse 41 and elijah said to ahab go up eat and drink for there's the sound of a rushing of rain so ahab went up to eat and drink And Elijah went up to the top of Carmel and he bowed himself down on the earth and he put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now, look towards the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. So he said, go again, seven times. And at the seventh time, He said, that's the servant, behold a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down lest the rain stop you. And in a little while the heavens grew black and clouds and wind gathered and there was a great rain. In verses 20 through 40. Elijah's action is public. But in verses 40 through to the end of 45, it's private. Now remember, significance is not the same as prominence. And what Elijah does in secret at the end of the chapter is just as important as what he did publicly and very powerfully in the body of the chapter. Because through his prayer, he presses home the victory, he breaks the drought, he calls down rain, he secures a breakthrough, and he ushers the whole land into a season of blessing. Now there are certain details about this, that even though they happened almost 3,000 years ago, they speak to us today. And the first is this. Well, before I say that, let me say this message is entitled, Praying for Breakthrough. And the first principle of prayer that we read here is in verse 42. And it says, Elijah went to the top of Carmel. This shows us the commitment to prayer. Now, Elijah's just experienced the high point of his entire ministry. He stood alone, he's spoken one word, he's watched fire come down from heaven, he's witnessed Baal toppled from his throne of power, and he's watched the nation's heart turn back to God. That's not a bad day's work. And yet, those initial events on Mount Carmel, in fact, those initial events on Mount Carmel, they rank as high as anything else in the Old Testament. They're right up there with the opening of the Red Sea. They're right up there with the falling of the walls of Jericho. Nonetheless, as powerful as they were, they didn't replace the need for Elijah to climb the mountain a second time and give himself to prayer. And neither did the fact that God had promised that rain was going to fall right at the beginning of the chapter. The anointing of the Spirit, demonstrations of power, signs and wonders, and even the promises of God's word are no substitute for prayer. Prayer is God's timeless call on the church that which we are constantly supposed to respond to. E. M. Bounds wrote, God shapes the world by prayer. And he added, prayer is the means by which Christ carries out his great work on earth. John Wesley said, God does nothing except in response to prayer. And God himself promised, if my people pray, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. Prayer is not the expression of a feeling. Prayer is a response to God's invitation and it's a commitment that we make. And when we do, then we are falling in line with all the great men and women, each of whom had a vibrant prayer life. Jesus used to pray in the garden. Susanna Wesley used to pray in her kitchen with her apron over her head so she wouldn't be disturbed. Her son John Wesley used to pray on horseback. Alexander McLaren, the great Bible teacher, used to go on prayer walks. Charles Spurgeon prayed in his rocking chair. And David Brainard, the missionary to the Aboriginal people of North America, would ride deep into the forest for his times with the Lord. If we wait until we feel like praying, we'll never pray. Mike Bickle, the founder of the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, identifies three stages of prayer. He says it begins with a decision, it proceeds with discipline, and it ends with delight. That's the commitment to pray. Elijah climbs up the mountain, despite the blessing of God that's been falling on him. Now look at verse 43. There it says, And he said to his servant, Elijah didn't go up the mountain alone. He took his servant with him. And they prayed together. This is the second principle of prayer. The plurality of prayer. The commitment of prayer. The plurality of prayer. An old African proverb says, Run alone and you can run fast. Run together and you'll run far. And some things are better done together. And nothing is better done together than prayer. Of the 37 verses in the Gospels that teach us about prayer, 33 of them assume that when we pray, we are praying together. So when Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, the you is plural. When he tells his disciples, ask and it will be given to you, the ask is plural. When he says, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, the you is plural. And the same pattern emerges in Acts. Right the way throughout Acts, it's clear that. That in the early church, prayer was a group activity. Before the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, 120 men and women were praying for the promise of the Father to be fulfilled. The church in Jerusalem gave themselves to the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. And they did it together. When the Sanhedrin threatened Peter and John and wanted to shut down preaching in the name of Jesus, the church came together and prayed. In fact, they prayed with such power, the room where they were actually shook with the presence of God. And the night before Peter's execution, or at least his scheduled execution, the church got together and prayed, and the result of their prayer was that angels were released, chains were broken, and the iron gate of the prison opened spontaneously. Almost 90% of the instruction about prayer assumes it's not just individual, but it's corporate as well. Now, there's a reason for that. And it's this. Prayer is synergistic and by that I mean more spiritual energy is released when a hundred people pray together than if a hundred people were to pray in isolation and alone I think one of the best stories that illustrates the, the, the power of plurality is one from the 19th century The 44-meter-long Broughton Suspension Bridge was built as one of England's first and strongest bridges. It's just outside Manchester in the north of England. And it stood there for five years, from the uh, mid-1820s until the early 1830s. And then on the night of April the 12th, 1831, a detachment of 74 soldiers from the 60th Rifle Corps came marching along. They were marching four abreast and they started over the bridge. In fact, as they entered the bridge, the men began to feel the planks underneath their feet begin to vibrate and they actually liked what they felt. And then somebody started to whistle a marching song which made them march all the more, stomping even harder on the bridge. And then suddenly, one of the towers at one end started to totter. And then it came loose and came down and it brought down the entire bridge with it. When the engineers did an inquiry and examined what had happened, they discovered that mechanical resonance had been set up by the tramping of the soldiers' boots in unison and in agreement. And that led to a... a, uh, an edict going out in the british army still in place today that said on that says when soldiers march across a bridge they have to break step because men and women marching in unity is just too destructive now translate that into prayer and you realize how powerful plural prayer, corporate prayer, is. In fact, plurality is always powerfully effective. Back in 2013, in the International High Soccer Federation World Championships, they were held in Ottawa, the US women got to the final against Canada. And before the match, the US coach, Katie Stone, gathered her team and said this to them. As you enter the arena today, if you are thinking me, you'll win silver. But if you are thinking we, you'll win gold. And they did. Now, I got some flack for telling a story about the US beating Canada. (laughs) But actually it does underline a spiritual principle. In prayer, if we think me, we'll win silver. But if we think we, we'll win gold. Church, let's get our marching boots on. Let's fall in rank. Let's start marching in unison. Let's start agreeing in prayer. And let's see the shockwaves of God's synergism go through the situations that we are targeting we've got a great opportunity to do that over the next four weeks or three weeks, four Wednesdays let's not waste it so, first of all there's the commitment to prayer and then there's the plurality of prayer but there's more In verse 1, God promises Elijah, I will send rain. But Elijah doesn't then go limp and passive and just let that promise self-fulfill. He takes the promise, he goes up Carmel, and he begins to pray it in. And the focus of his heart is that the rain would come. And in fact... He sends his servant as a lookout, to to look out to see, anticipating what God's going to do. That's the focus of prayer. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul likens prayer to a Roman soldier's sword. Now, a Roman soldier's sword wasn't that big two-handed sword that some of us saw on Braveheart that, you know, sort of swept a swath right the way through the enemy. Maybe connecting, maybe not. This was the short, two-foot, razor-sharp, needle-pointed Gladius. And it was designed for close hand-to-hand combat. And the soldiers would practice thrusting at specific body parts in order to wreak the most damage. And Paul says, that's what prayer is like. He says, it's most effective when it's focused. Last week at the prayer summit, I really appreciated this when we were looking at our prayer goals. Because we didn't just pray that God would provide for our needs. But we were asking for the $80,000 we need this month. And the 18462 that's pretty specific, we need this week. And the 3100 that we need today. It's not just that God would sell these buildings and this land. But that God would do that and give us $6.3 million that we need in order to uh, begin to build. It's not that God would just bless our church, but that God would give us 10 new congregations before 2022. Send us an administrator, bring in the youth pastor, provide us with an operations manager. Do you see the point? It's specific sword thrusts. It's not the wide swath, but it's the specific... Requests. In fact, Howie Hendricks, who used to be a, a professor in the uh, seminary at Dallas, Dallas Theological Seminary, used to teach his students about prayer to guard against the slimy ooze of indefiniteness. In other words, be specific. The whatsoever you ask that Jesus talked about, it, it means be specific. It means be focused. It means be surgical. Now, let me add to that two things. As well as being specific and focused, also be bold. Do you remember when Jesus was going through... Jericho to Jerusalem and Bartimaeus called out to him and Jesus stopped what he was doing and he said to the blind man what do you want me to do for you now that guy had a blank check there he could have asked for absolutely anything but the amazing thing is he didn't ask for something that was very possible and very probable Something like, uh, arrange for me to have a better begging spot. Or, would you give me a, a really generous donation to my funds? Or, would you rebuke all these people in Jericho for being so ungenerous towards blind beggars? He could have asked for that and probably would have got it. But Bartimaeus shot for the moon. He went for broke. And he said to Jesus... I want to see again. And that's what the Lord did for him. And you know what, folks? I think there's a lesson there for us in prayer. That over these next three weeks, Jesus is saying, what do you want me to do for you? And I think either we can make a modest request or a bold request. We can either ask for the possible and the probable and the likely or we can ask for the impossible. And do you know what? I believe God loves it when we ask for the impossible because what that says to God is my children believe that I can do this. And that's a wonderful thing. David Jeremiah says, when God's in the picture, everything changes. That the things that are huge for us are small potatoes for him. So as well as being focused, be bold. And the second thing I want to add is this, as well as being focused, be expectant. Let's shed that thing of, well, what good does this do? Let's shed that unbelief. I mean, that, that, that spirit of Sarah that he, I mean, he has, he has three angels that show up and said, you really are going to get pregnant. And what she does is laugh in unbelief. Folks, let, let's, let's ask the Lord to change the water of our unbelief into the wine of faith and into the, 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 the strong wine of expectancy. Elijah sent his servant out to look over the sea because he knew that God was going to act. He knew that he wasn't going to be stuck up Carmel for the next six months, but that God who had commanded him to go or put it in his heart to be there, he was the one who was going to come through. And so Elijah and his servant were on the lookout for God. Prayer is not like a slot machine. We put something in, we pull a lever, out comes an answer straight away. Sometimes we have to persevere. In fact, Elijah's posture demonstrates perseverance. Did you spot that detail? It says that that he went to Carmel and he put his head between his knees. That's the posture that a midwife used to put a woman in when she was giving birth. And so what you see here is Elijah going to the top of Carmel. And he's getting ready to birth the promise of God through prayer. Time after time, the servant comes back and he says, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing. But Elijah didn't say, "Well, I guess it's not going to be today. Let's go and take a, have our supper and resume this tomorrow." He said, "No, you keep going back, keep looking. I'm going to pray. You keep looking. I'm going to pray. You keep looking." This brings us to the persistence of prayer. So, it's the commitment of prayer. It's the plurality of prayer. It's the focus of prayer. And now the persistence of prayer. Often it might seem like nothing's happening when we pray. Never believe that. Once we bring God in, no matter what the situation is, when he's in, it's out of our hands, into his hands, and he is working behind the scenes. His job is to act. Our job is to ask. And ask, and ask, and ask. Remember the acronym PUSH. Pray until something happens. In 1984, um, Brother Andrew called for a worldwide prayer movement to ask God to break the power of communism in uh, the Soviet Union. It was the then bastion of this atheistic ideology. And round the world, people prayed right the way throughout 84 and 85 and 86 and 87 and 88. And to all intents and purposes, it looked like nothing was happening. But actually, behind the Iron Curtain, an awful lot was happening. In 1989, the Berlin Wall came down. In 1990, the Warsaw Pact unraveled. And in 1991, the USSR imploded and communism was finished. Through persistence, seven years, a breakthrough came. And that's what Elijah and his servant were doing here. They were persisting in prayer. Elijah kept saying, no, go back, go back. Go back. Let's keep on with this. Let's pray until something happens. And then one time the servant comes back and he says, Elijah, something's happening. I can see a cloud. We've not seen a cloud for three years, but I can see a cloud. It's just the size of a man's hand, but it seems to be getting bigger and it's coming out of the ocean And as they continued to pray, the skies grow black, the winds gather, and the scripture says, and there's a great rain. And so you could really put in principle number five, the breakthrough of prayer. The commitment to pray, the plurality of prayer, the focus of prayer, persistence in prayer, and breakthrough of prayer. The drought broke, the famine ended, livestock are replenished, people survive, the land comes under blessing. And the turning point was going up Carmel a second time. When we pray, something always happens. Now what's our application well, I believe there's three applications for us this morning, or this afternoon. And I, I, I believe it, there are three different groups of people here who are saying three different things about prayer. There's a group here who are saying, I can't pray. I mean, what you're talking about, that's, that's for the prophets of old. That's for the apostles. It's for the pastors and the missionaries and the, the, the house group leaders. I can't pray, but Ken reminded us in our prayer time last night as we were here just asking the Lord about this morning's service that James tells us that Elijah, he writes that Elijah was a human being just like you and me. And the message of that is if he can do it, so can we. But I believe there are people here this morning who, whose prayer life has come to an end. You know, it's, it's, like, uh, it's like a sailboat with no wind in the sails. And you're saying, I can't do it. And I believe with all my heart this morning that God wants to begin to blow with the wind of his spirit and fill that sail. As, as, as Wynne pro- uh, uh, shared a, a few minutes ago, no, we can't do it. That's right, we can't do we can't do it, we can't sustain this. But God can cause us to do that. He can blow by his spirit. He can fill the sail of our prayer life. And we can get with the program and begin to pray. So that's the first application. And if that's you, I believe God wants to touch you this morning. Second application is this. And I, when I appreciate what you say, you just about preached my applications, which is a wonderful commitment, uh, confirmation. Thank you for that. People are saying i 'm weary of prayer. i 'm tired. Not i 'm tired of prayer, I 'm just tired in prayer. i 've prayed and prayed and prayed, and nothing seems to be happening. You know, for years I've been at this. I want to say to you this morning, don't give up. And what we want to do, we want to be like Joshua and her that, 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 that held up your, hold up your arms in prayer this morning. If you're weary in praying, don't give up. Keep right on. In the first service, I was just sharing a story that came to mind at this point about a, a woman swimmer that, that wanted to be the first that swam from Catalina Island to the mainland of the U.S. And uh, there was a boat that was leading the way. These were shark-infested waters, and uh, and and she'd been training, and she started to swim swim this distance, and. Uh, she, hour after hour she went, and, and she carried on. And then suddenly the fog came down. And she couldn't see her goal. And she started to lose heart and get uh, uh, disoriented. And eventually she thought, I'm never going to get there. And so she signaled to a pilot boat, they hauled her aboard. And she, when the fog lifted, she realized... She was within 300 yards of her goal. And if she hadn't have quit, she'd have broken through. I want to say to you, you're close to your goal. Don't quit. Keep swimming. Keep marching. Keep asking. Keep swimming. Keep marching. Keep asking. You're going to break through. And finally, I believe there are some people here who have said, I'm through with prayer. It doesn't work. I prayed for my loved one, and they died. I prayed for a spouse, but no spouse has come. We prayed for a child, but we still don't have a family. You're discouraged in prayer, and you've disengaged from it. Can I say if that's you? You're a warrior. Get your armor back on. Pick up your sword. Get back in the battle. The battle needs you. I believe God's calling us as a church to a season of prayer. Because there are huge challenges ahead. But as God fills our sails, as God activates people to start praying as God encourages people who have grown tired as God recommissions people who have become discouraged and disengaged I believe we're going to see that breakthrough that the rain is going to come that the rain of God's blessing the rain of provision the rain of increase the rain of abundance the rain of God's presence is going to not just fall, but douses, yes, yes. penetrating the dry and hard and thirsty land, and bringing us into a season of blessing for His glory. Amen.